Welcome to an episode of the Defo Mohapi Show, hosted by myself, Defo Mohapi. Thank you for taking some time out to listen to this podcast. The show explores the impact whether famously or infamously some of my guests have had on the world, their views on the state of the world currently and what they think needs to be done to make our world better, or at minimum, how we can all get along better and do better. Make sure to head over to radio.iafrican.com, that is radio.iafrican.com, and subscribe to get notified on new episodes of this podcast and other iAfrican radio shows. I hope you find this episode insightful. They sometimes say that a person's name, or you should be careful what you name your your child because they could become a personification of that. And having read and observed Mr. Mtetonyati over the years in the ICT industry in South Africa, I think he personifies that. Would you agree, Mr. Nyati? (laughs) I agree. I think think, uh, there's so much of me that is in my name. You know, the, 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 my name talks about discipline, talks about justice, uh, it touches on fairness. So all of that, I think, is part of who I am. And that's why there's a story why I brought a jacket today, because uh, over the years, as I said, I've, I've observed Mr. Nyati, and once upon a time in my other life, I used to work for a reseller of Microsoft, and I used to be a reseller of Microsoft, and also at MTN, I used to see you there. And I've never seen you, I always saw you as a serious person. I've never seen him without a suit. (laughs) And he's always firm and steady. And I thought, oh my goodness, it's Friday. I'm usually wearing, he knows, Nzalo knows, who's our producer, that I usually wear T-shirts and techies or I wear golf shirts. And I thought, oh no, I'm going to Ultra and I'm going to see Mr. Nyati. (laughs) At least I must have a jacket on. Would that be a fair perspective of you or perception of you? Uh, it is uh, somewhat uh, true, but uh, if you look, if just look at me, uh, you hardly see me with a tie. Yes, uh, that's 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 a, that's a very important statement uh, that I'm communicating with, without a tie. And if you uh, if you were to talk to some of the people that are working for me, there is an element of seriousness in me. But once they get to know me, actually, they, they realize that uh, there's, a, there's a huge amount of fun within that particular person. You may think that it is difficult for people to, to, to come uh, and engage me, but, uh, you know, there's so many people knocking on my door. I'm talking employees now, you know, uh, engaging. Uh, so I'm approachable, although it may appear like there's an element of seriousness. Uh, so it's a combination of both. You know? And I think I like it that way for myself. (laughs) (laughs) And I was actually pleasantly surprised because part of the reason I have you on the podcast is Mm. the book that you've you've published, Betting on a Ducky, and Mm. I finished it. And when I was reading it, there are certain parts in the beginning, and as you go on and reading it, I was presently surprised and I chuckled at the first instance of learning that Mr. Mtetunyati is not always serious. <laughs> There's an incident I think you talk about where you were sniffing petrol. Yes, I was sniffing petrol and sniffing glue, benzene. You know, that's, that, that's, that, that's, that's when I was growing up. You know, I, 
I tried all of these things. I experimented. Uh, thank God my, my parents uh, put me back on the right track. To boarding school? Yes, I was sent to this boarding school, uh, which is a Catholic school. Uh, they, of course, the, the discipline was uh, yeah, the number one priority. Mm. Yeah. And, and do you think, I mean, sometimes we say that uh, we will look back at life, and we'll get to the more professional side yeah. of, of your life, mm. but sometimes looking back, we like saying we have regrets over the bad decisions we've made in life. I also learned that you used to be a party animal, but yes. as your brother puts it in the book, he doesn't take advice from you <laughs> on party matters anymore. So... I mean, we look back sometimes and say we have regrets, but reading your story, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, those, your, your part of you being naughty put you, made your parents take you to boarding school. Yes, exactly. So without you being naughty, yes. you wouldn't have I'll been never, taken to a Catholic school. Yeah. When I look back uh, personally, there is very little that I'm, I, I regret you know, about the experiences. Uh, when I look at all of them, uh, the way that uh, my mother in particular used to, you know, uh, used to work for her in her, in her little shop, you know, the discipline that she, she gave, you know, all of that. Uh, when, when I was through it, it was tough. Uh, I could not understand some of mm -hmm. it. But looking back now, I understand why, why it is. All of those experiences make me the person that I am. And, and I'm glad that I'm also not making some of those mistakes uh, at my okay, age. Yes, you know, yes. you know, I, I did all of that at the time. Much younger. Yeah, much younger. You know, I tr we tried, even with my, with my wife, we tried to, to, do, to move into business. We made some big mistakes yes, there. I think you mentioned that it was when you moved to, to Itamaritzbeck in KwaZulu Natal, where yes. the boutique didn't work out. It did not work out. I mean, one of the issues there is that we did not do market research. You know, great products, great everything. The customers love it, but they just did not buy it. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. you, you you try and sell this thing at, uh, at in a in a place like Peter Marisbeck is called Sleepy Hollow for a reason. You <laughs> there's, know? No, there's no cash flow yeah. mostly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, well, as I said, life is not always cut out black and white. Certain mm -hmm. things, many things contribute. And mm -hmm. before I get to the more serious stuff, mm -hmm. there's. Nowadays, there's usually people who like saying they are self-made or mm -hmm. self-made in terms of success. And that's why I mentioned the part about being naughty, that certain mm -hmm. things and also certain people mm -hmm. who are angels come, mm -hmm. you can't explain certain situations, come mm -hmm. into your life and they help you along a path. Mm -hmm. I think there's a part where you, I think this is the last part I'll give away from the book, mm -hmm. a part where you talk about an envelope, if I'm not wrong, where yes, you, yes, your parents yes. obviously raising 10 children were struggling mm -hmm. to pay for, for university fees, and mm -hmm. by some miracle you came across money. Yes, I came across uh, it, it was at the time when I was at, uh, at the University of Transkei at the time. I was doing my first year there, just enrolled. Uh, we were struggling at home with all of the 10 kids, and as I'm getting into the lift, and there was this envelope. I picked it up. It's all of the money that one needed to, to go and register. Yeah. Uh, clearly, it must have fallen from one of the students. And it's something that even today I battle um, when I ask myself, what is it that I should have done? That, that was my question. The next question was, isn't it an ethical dilemma of sorts? It, it was. It, it was. But at the time, you know, you're coming from an environment where 
when you see something that is valuable, you celebrate, you know, yes. grab something, you, if it's 10 cents or 2 cents or, or 10 rand, you, you celebrate, you think that, you know, someone upstairs it's is looking, is looking after you. It's exactly the same thing. But having grown up now and I look back at the, at the thing, I, I, I ask myself, would I have come to the same decision? Probably not. I would have I would take, taken a completely different uh, view. But that talks to, I guess, to, to experience in life. To You were young then, I guess, in the 1920s or so. Yes, I was, I was actually uh, I was 16, yep. you know, yeah. So it mm. talks to experience. I mean, you've experienced life mm. more different sides of life, and you would probably take a more yeah. different ethical decision. And, and South Africa is a different mm. environment today. Yes. Yeah. Look, you, you know how your parents are struggling. Uh, uh, what is top of mind at that time and say, here, gee, this is, uh, this is something that is going to help us a lot. Uh, you're not putting yourself in the shoes of the person mm. who has lost the money. You know, and uh, but right now uh, I would come. I would make a different decision altogether. Yeah. And I talk us through. I mean, there's a. You talk about you were set in your mind that you want to be an engineer. Yes. And yes. that's always been something you wanted to do. Yes. But you, I think the bulk of your career thus far has been in ICT. Yes. How did that come about? From going from mechanical or engineering background and totally. 180 degree change to ICT. Look, it starts with with my my dad, who who's very much married into me doing medicine, and and at every opportunity continues to try and drive me to do uh, medicine, and and but I then got exposed when I went to London, UK. Uh, I was representing South Africa there. Uh, in the International Science Olympiad. When I looked at all of the careers, uh, it was clear to me that uh, medicine is, is the last thing that I should be doing. Why was that? Mm. Uh, there were certain things that would come naturally to me, like math and science. Uh, I did not have to apply myself too much uh, when it comes to those concepts and, and thinking around math and science. But when it comes to biology, as, uh, although I was getting great marks, the effort that I needed to put, oh, it, it was more, just yeah. not natural for me. Uh, so when I look at that and the fact that uh, when I'm looking at the numbers and, and calculations, and that's precisely what engineering is all about, it's application of knowledge, not trying to remember things. No, it's not academic, yeah, it's practical. exactly. Yeah. And that's where I, I, I saw, no, that this is the direction I had to take. I had to stamp my foot and, and ultimately my dad agreed. But what is it that I picked up from engineering? Engineering for me, it is something, it's just the tools that gave me to, to think and to problem solve. So something like mental models of yeah, how to attack exactly. problems. Yeah, how to attack problems, how to look at, 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 at issues and from different angles, analyze those things and get quickly to the heart of the matter. What are the, what are the real problems, not symptoms? What are the, the, the driving? What's causing? What's causing this thing? That's what engineering help, helps me with. And that's what I, I think, I look at that as portable skills, 
that I can take from one industry to the next. True. Yeah. And I've moved from now probably three industries. Uh, I was in manufacturing. Chemicals. Uh, yeah, I moved to chemicals. I did some distribution. I also went to, into IT, and then I moved to telecom. Yes. You know? In all of those, there's this one thing that is common, the ability to analyze things and quickly come to solutions to those two problems. It could be issues related to human problems. It doesn't matter. It, it, it is, uh, all it matters is that uh, engineering has helped me to, with that ability. Uh, so so that, is, that is what I got out of engineering field. So that made it, I mean, IT is similar in terms of thinking. You have to look at the customer problem if you're yes. coming from a supplier side, yeah, yeah. address. So I guess those skills were, as you say, yeah. transferable to the, to the IT side as well. They were, they were transferable. But at the time, there was a time in my life when I was doing uh, consulting work in the manufacturing space. And, and I kept bumping into ERP, those kind of systems much earlier. And I, I just could not understand. Here these things are coming up and they're becoming so relevant. I, I knew very little about uh, And I was coming in from the manufacturing side trying to help these companies to be much more productive, to become world class. You know? So I, I realized that I needed to close the gap. So when I was approached by IBM, who at the time were looking for people that had deep industry expertise, and my industry expertise was in manufacturing. So they're looking for that, and I, okay, they're looking for that from me. They don't necessarily want me to know IT, but they want me, they want someone who understands the vertical. The, the vertical. Yeah. And I felt, no, what I want from them is IT. You know, so that was a very nice match where it was a win-win. They got something from me, and I got something from them. Interesting. And one theme, I mean, talking about mental models and that, one theme that I've picked up from the book about your life is that you've always been like an outsider into situations. Mm -hmm. Whether it was being the first black person or the only black person at F Rocks, mm -hmm. moving to Paris very early, late 90s, am yeah, I right? yeah. coming into IT from a different background. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you felt was a burden or was it an advantage? I've always found it as, as, uh, as, as an advantage. Uh, you realize when you get into situations where people have been in those environments, they miss a lot of things because they, they have been in those environments for a long time. When you're coming in fresh and looking at the same things, you, you, you can pick up things much, much quicker. Whether it's me coming from manufacturing and getting into IT or moving into into telecoms uh, from IT, it doesn't matter. Uh, going into different environments, like in Paris from South Africa, you bring something into the equation. And hence, I always try to maintain that outsider view. Even if I'm, I'm inside the organization, I try as much as possible to look with, within the organization at the organization with an outside view all the time because it gives you interesting perspectives. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And that outside view, do you think it worked when you were at MTM? Because that sounds like it was a bit of a difficult time, time at times. 
it it worked it, it worked a lot uh, at MTN. I remember at the time uh, when the CEO or Cefiso uh, asked, yeah, asked me a question that uh, you know you have been here now for three months. Uh, uh, what is what is it that you think we should be doing? You know, and and I was able to to point out to him that. I think we have not focused on customers. You know, we've been sitting in these meetings and doing all sorts of things, uh, looking operationally, trying to drive down costs. But I've never had us discuss the reason why we're for here, the, which, the which is the customer, customers, yeah. which is the customers. You know, and 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 he was able to quickly realize that he, this 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 man is right. You know, and immediately he brought into our into our group escort discussions an item which was about you know customers, customers. and and that brought us back into the reason why we exist because our reason of existence to serve those customers. So it helped a lot. Uh, I look again when I moved to into MTN South Africa. I look at that environment, and it became clear to me that. Uh, the telecoms industry was facing something similar to what financial services used to face maybe 10, 15 years ago, where people did not quite particularly like their banks. Yeah, it was, it was a garage use. Yeah. You use it because you have to. Exactly. They did not like them. And where we are now with telecom companies, people are using those, but they do not particularly, they're not necessarily no, so excited. You, you have to use yeah. it. Yeah. So I, I, when I came, I said, no, we need to go and learn, bring people that have been in the banking space, bring them into, into telecoms to help us to understand how do they turn the situation around. If you look at the, at the people that I brought in there, these were outsiders, most of them coming from financial services, to try and help in particular in things like customer experience. And they have done a great job in, in, the, in the financial services to, to improve customer experience and could learn a lot. So it helped a lot in the formulation of the strategy of the company. And that's interesting because that probably goes back, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, to what you, if I, if I remember correctly, what you learned at, uh, when you were at Afrox, which was about the Japanese method of lean yes. manufacturing or yes. the lean mm. process of doing things just yes. in time and all total quality management. Yes. And it emphasizes a lot of customer experience, if yes. I'm not wrong. Yes, yes. There's a huge focus around, around quality management. Uh, at the time when I was at Afrox, uh, my focus, in fact, I was very, very happy to be part of the team that led the efforts to make Afrox one of the leading companies when it comes to quality management. We picked up most of the lessons we picked up from the Japanese. You know, uh, We looked at the way they, they're doing things, uh, look at Edward Deming, who was a leading thinker around, around quality management. Then I moved to, uh, I moved to NAMPEC. There it was another practical example where here you have a, a company who have lifted international sanctions. Now you've got imports coming into the country. Competition, yeah. Yeah. And they're lending those imports at a much lower price the than local can yeah. So how do you help this company to survive? You know that NAMPEC is still there today. So clearly the work that we did at the time 
helped a lot to make them to be, you know. So it helps me. All of that, those experiences helped me quite a lot in my later years in understanding how to how to make companies uh, to be much more customer-centric and also very much lean and driving excellence. And, and it's in South Africa, I think we have a little bit of a different labor sort of dynamic in terms yes. of we've got unions, we've got a labor law that's very, very strict. How do you implement that customer-centric approach in such an environment? And a, a politically charged environment still, even today. Yeah. So I, I remember at the time at, uh, at NAMPEC, uh, the big issue, the, the union at, at, in, in the operation that I was working for, which was NUMSA. And, and our approach saying we want to empower the workers to be able to do more than what they were doing. Instead of doing maybe one activities, want to help them to do four or five different but activities. You'd, you'd face opposition well, from unions based on that, because that's more work. Yes, it's, it's, it's more work, but you know the approach that we use there, say, we, we collectively have a problem. Our problem is these imports coming into the country that are lending at even half Much the price. Cheaper, yeah. If we do not do things if we don't change the way we do things, we are all going to, you know, to die. You know, there's not going to be any company. So let us work together to try and make sure that we, we survive and also we thrive. You know, we then gain share. And, 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 and most of the unions, if you start to work from that premise, you know, you, you sit down, you, 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 you come up with a problem statement, you both agree on that problem statement, and you work on ways on trying to address that. Because their interest is to protect their, 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 the workers their workers. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, and our interest as well is also to do that and also, of course, to grow the company. So we both share so much. But many times we focus on the things that, that divide us versus looking at the things. That, so it worked for me a lot. You, then, then you look at, I take uh, the job in, in, in MTN South Africa yeah. in the middle of the strike. Yeah, so of the strike. It was yeah. three months in, into, into the, the job. In, in, yeah, no. Into the strike. Into the strike. Three months into the strike, I come in there. And within a week, we were able to resolve that. Why? because I had to go back to how do we do things uh, in NAMPEC? You engage. You do not try and solve problems by being disengaged. Or aloof. You are being aloof or looking down upon these people, you know. And I realized in one meeting, I realized that we share some common objective. In fact, they did not want that strike. I was surprised. My first meeting said, Jesus, this thing has been dragging for three months. We did not even want this thing. You know? and, and then we started to discuss and we work on ways and means to try and make sure that you know, we get the employees back into the business so that we can focus on what matters. And what matters was how do we improve the performance of MTN South Africa to protect the jobs. Jobs and the know? company. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Interesting. And what, I mean, let's, touching on MTN, we'll move on to other things a bit later. There's been, I mean, over the years, there's been, 
I think sitting from outside as an observer of the ICT industry, you, you sense one senses that there's a tension between South Africa and Nigeria from an MTN perspective. Mm -hmm. What's sparking that? Because there's been the fines, which I understand, but I don't think from looking outside, and apologies for not being politically correct, but from sitting outside, they look like there's more underlying things that are driving the animosity between MTN's sub, uh, subsidiary in, in Nigeria and in South Africa? Uh, look, when you are inside, you realize actually there is none of that at all. Yeah. There is absolutely no problem. Uh, I used to work very, very close with my with my Nigerian uh, my, cool. my counterpart, uh, and and they changed it. Even the new person who took over, we worked very closely with sharing even even sharing the uh, best practices how to go about doing things what i sense though is between south africa as a country not mtn yes, yes. and nigeria there could be some issues between the two countries which then translate into maybe yes into maybe policy. some the regulatory people in the different countries deciding to act uh, maybe much more aggressive towards MTN. But there is nothing, there's absolutely no problem between MTN South Africa and, and MTN, MTN Nigeria, Nigeria, not at all. That's know. interesting because I think that's also spilled over just this year into mm. what, what was known as the xenophobic attacks. Yes, yes. One gets a sense that, I mean, I work and chat to with a lot of Nigerian professionals in the industry. Yes. But from, uh, as you say, from a political, now that you mention it, it looks like it's at a political level yes. or at a regulatory or policy level. There yes. seems to be some sort of animosity, which one cannot explain, really. Yes. Look, I, maybe, maybe there's an element of competition here. You know, you have, here you've got two big uh, markets, uh, uh, South Africa being seen as leading, uh, although in terms of size, is actually much smaller than Nigeria, so so there could be elements uh, saying, but hey, we should be the one who are the, who are doing leading, the leading yeah, yeah. you know, versus you. Uh, but but in, when it comes to uh, the sophistication of the country, the financial systems, and all of that, South Africa it's, it's is leading, leading fast, by yeah. far. You know, when you look at global globally, who who leaders from the U.S. and maybe from Europe look to? When, when they're thinking about Africa, they're not necessarily looking at Nigeria. They're looking at South Africa. And that may not land well with Nigeria. I don't know. But there, there could be reasons linked to that. But the different operations of MTN in, in South Africa and in, in, in Nigeria, no issue okay. at all. I think that clears it up. Mm -hmm. And what do you, talking of the different in politics and all that, mm -hmm. South Africa... I always like to, when I think and I read and I sit and make note, I think it's a country that's always, every few years, is on the verge of greatness, but sometimes we do things and we sort of backtrack. We, we move 10 steps forward, we backtrack 15 steps. Mm -hmm. We're always on the verge of not just being great on the continent, but being great globally, yes. being a leader globally. Mm -hmm. And it's something that always niggling in my mind and saying, what, what's wrong? What, as a leader in, in, in South Africa and having been one for mm -hmm. many years, mm -hmm. from your point of view, what do you think is, is, or do you firstly, do you agree with that point of view? Mm -hmm. And what do you think, if you agree or not, what do you think is a problem? 
You know, it's it's surprising. I, I agree with that view. I agree uh, a lot. When I look at, for example, during the the, the Mandela years, then followed by uh, another eight years of Mbeki, and we were leading. You know, we, we didn't. I mean, uh, in, if you look at each and every key indicator economic indicator mm. we were positive you know of course we did not grow too many uh, we did not create too many jobs but the country was growing we were, we were you know, continuously yeah. growing the level of debt was way down there there was surplus you know uh, look at all of that then you say wow this is the country that is that is on a path yeah, to something greatness yeah. well then the next thing you have the people of south africa deciding on their own, that this leader that we have here is not the kind of leader that, that what he's talking about is yeah. not a reflection of of the things that we want. Yeah. We want a leader that is, and then they, um, they, they 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 got the leader, and that leader took us backwards, you know. But it was it's a, that leader is a reflection. It's, 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 it's a reflection good. of what the people wanted, you know. So it's this so. You, you have a situation where our country, uh, I think it's a way of balancing itself. Because we, our democracy is just 25 years. Yeah? It's young. It's, yeah. it's a young democracy. You look at other, other countries. They've gone through all of this thing many years ago. You don't want your leaders and everybody leaving your people behind. So the pains that we have gone through, through the Zuma years, as painful as they are, they have helped so many people to understand that, hey, we shouldn't take this democracy for granted. So the people that they were excited about populist things, they're no longer, they're questioning all of that now. So it's actually a step forward. But it's but driven, yes, it's a, at a level of thinking, it's a level of consciousness. You know, the people that were excited about, about, about uh, uh, getting a leader that is a populist, those same people, they now understand some of the issues. Mm-hmm. Oh, a, lot uh, of, a lot of them have backtracked, actually. Yeah, so, so there is a positive movement forward. Yes, the country moved backwards, but at a, at a collective consciousness level, the, the, the collective consciousness of South Africa has moved forward. Mm. True. Positive. And I think you mentioned earlier, just made quick notes, that you mentioned that the people chose the leader that they thought they wanted. And I partly disagree because coming from a content and a news and information and research background as well, one observes how narratives are framed. Yes. One observes how... Let's take them back versus Zuma. I think yeah. this was 2006, 2007. Yes. And you look at the narratives that were being formed, both for and against each leader. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it was one-sided. Mm. You look at the narrative being formed against uh, former President Tawabeki, it was that he's aloof. He's aloof. He's not a person he's, of the people. He's he doesn't from lift, the people. He doesn't listen to the people. Mm. And looking back, and perhaps that's why I say partly agree and disagree, looking mm. back, perhaps that's not the way we should measure a leader. Because mm-hmm. we don't measure KPIs of a leader based on whether they're arrogant or... We should <laughs> look at, is, is the leader doing the things that the country needs? You know, is the country moving forward when it comes to education, when it comes to health care, when it comes just the health of the economy? Mm-hmm. Those are the things that matter. 
you know, you may have a leader that's got absolutely no personality, but what are the outcomes? They're moving the country you know, forward. What are the outcomes? That's what we need to be looking at. You know, we, 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 we like personalities too much. But it's because, again, maybe it's because of a young democracy. We're still fresh from yes. from apartheid, and yes. we want people we can relate to. Yes. But I think as a country, and this is just my personal opinion, we start needing, maybe it's what you say, we, the, the, the what's happened mm -hmm. will sort of collectively improve our consciousness to say, mm -hmm. This is what we find is important in a leader and in a, as a country. Yes. And these we should disregard. We should yes. move forward. With I mean, I mean, look, look, at, uh, look, look at the EFF. You know, if just before the elections, the, the, the just recent yes. elections, you would think that EFF would probably go get close to 15 to 20 percent of the. Of Again, the vote, it's narratives, you know? but they got yeah. much less. Than and they got, why? Is that. Consciousness of the people. I get. I, I understand. It's consciousness. Yeah. They've realized that hey, going that direction, we've just come from something like that, you know. Uh, so it's it's a good thing that has happened because it has moved us forward at least. But then, what do you think should be the next steps? I mean, if you were sitting currently and you were either an elected president or you were. Mm -hmm. In the executive of the, poly, of the of the governance side of the country, what would you say are the KPIs? One KPIs and what needs to be done so, to turn the country around? Because we, in whichever way you cut it, whichever way you look at it, economically, the health sector, business, it's in an almost depression state, mm, away from recession. Yeah. You know, I would answer that question by looking back at this at a at a organization like I'm running now, a, a company called Altron here. And it has a company that was going through very difficult times. And, and it's a company that at the top, uh, at the time was very much Afrikaner organization, yes. white organization. And <laughs> you look at where we are, only two and a half years uh, ago, you know, only two and a half years into the, the changes that we've made here. We've got people that have got a common vision. Each and every one of our employees are not feeling threatened that, hey, do we really have a future within Ultron? No. They, do, they don't think that, hey, this guy, this black guy who's leading, is actually leading only for black people. You know, the mm. people that have got a future in this company is black people. No. Everybody feels like if they do their bit, they can get you know, to any level within the company. So we've created a, an environment where everybody feels like they, they, they belong. That, to me, is so important. You cannot have an environment where people, you know, people who've got great skills, great things that they can, uh, they can add to, to some of the challenges that our, our country is facing, those people feeling like they, they should actually not be here. We have a problem. Our new narrative, I think it comes from, from the radical economic transformation narrative of the, previous, yeah. of, of the previous president, where we moved so far away from our constitution, our constitution which, was, which, is, which says that South Africa belongs to all of us, to a situation where we're now thinking of South Africa from a, from a color or from a race perspective. 
you know. Uh, there are people that we clearly we are saying they don't belong. But these are South Africans. You know? We need to start to go back there because we we do need, there's a reason why we've got this diversity. That's another thing which we're doing here in, in Ultron. We, we embrace our differences. We know that each and every one of us, as different as they are, we're bringing something different, something important into the equation. Let's not do that at a national level. We need to embrace all of the different people to help us. Our problems are huge. But if we can work together, it's, it's so easy to address some of the problems. Uh, just one example here. We've just recently done uh, a challenge. I call it a chief executive challenge. I mm -hmm. issue a challenge uh, within the company uh, and say, how can our company address some of the social problems in South Africa? In South Africa? Okay. Issue that challenge uh, through technology through technology, okay. because that's what that's we what have. Our do. only yeah. weapon we have already is technology and brains. Mm -hmm. Coming out of that, I'm not going to list all of the great ideas. One of the ideas was we've got this problem of uh, informal settlement and fires and the number of people that are dying related to those fires. You know? Because they're interconnected. Yes. So one fire catches yes. the air, catches exactly, the exactly. And, and you come up, and they've come up with a very, very simple solution that is going to be able to address this problem. It's a huge problem. Coming, the solution is very simple. The person who, come, who came with the solution is a white African guy. And I ask him, I mean, why did you even, why, why, did, why are you occupying your mind with a shack? related issues. Which you, you, don't, you shouldn't I mean, care about. I mean, Naturally it's, speaking. It's, it's completely something out of your <laughs> environment. Why? Yeah. You know? This is the reason why I'm saying this is that we've got so many people that care so deeply about our country. We cannot afford to put them out of the equation. We need our collective brains to address the challenges that are facing our country. So an inclusive vision is something that is very important. So that's the first thing. Okay. Then we then look at what are some of our, our other big problems. The other issues are the SOEs. The SOEs where they still have the and leadership. Just for the listeners who don't know, SOEs are state-owned enterprises. Yeah, state-owned enterprises uh, like ESCOM, like SAA, you know, like Denel. Those companies, they need great leadership. They also, we need to address the question of, uh, of, of debt that they are facing. So that's the first address that. Education, oh, education. Our education outcomes are appalling. You know, we are moving backwards. We're the only country that after the, after the freedom, we, the education outcomes are moving in the wrong Yet direction. We spend so much We're spending on so much. You know, we have to fix that and fix it uh, as a matter of priority. We need to have people that understand what they are doing there. I look back at my own, my own education. I come from a rural area. But in that little uh, school there, they were able to produce great outcomes. Why? The first thing was that we had great principal. Who cared about teaching? Yeah. 
So leadership matters. So if you are trying to address this big problem, which is about which is education in our country, we can reduce it to how many schools do we have in, in South Africa? Maybe 12,000 schools. Let's make sure that each and every one of those schools have principle. got a good principal. That alone will address half of the problems. Because he'll choose the right people. Yes. He will drive the right level of discipline. I have not even brought in technology. No, no, no. There is no, you, all you need is to have because a leader. You, yeah, a leader that is going to be driving the right agenda and keeping the people, both the, both the, um, both the learners uh, and also the teachers on, on the straight. That's all, that's all you need. Mm -hmm. Then get the teachers to be skilled, to train around what they're teaching. Invest in that thing. Just those, just those two things alone can shift the needle when it comes to education. The same thing with healthcare. You put a doctor to be the, the CEO of a hospital. What does a doctor, in all honesty, have they ever been trained about management? Of, organizational of, management. Organizational management. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just changing that thing alone, focus doctors on what they know best, which is really to, to, to look after the patient, choose the right managers to manage this hospital. Because there's logistics that you need there. You know, there's uh, finance. You know, there's finance. All of these things you need good managers. So just by doing those two things, so healthcare is another area that we need to focus on. Let's not kill the things that are working. Today, we've got our private healthcare system of this country being, you know, it's working. You know, but it's is, expensive. Is it, is, is it perfect? No. But well, let's tweak it. Let's not kill it. Okay, I get let's, you. Let's not yeah, kill I it. Get you. Let's I not get kill you. it. The same thing with uh, you hear in the telecom space, everybody's complaining about the high data prices. No, let us get rid of the the, 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 the two in the big guys. Let us come up with a new state owned. Uh, we are killing what is working. We're bringing up something that we don't know. No, let us figure out how to improve what is working, what's bringing other people. We've got this mentality of destroying in order to build. No, let's not do this. Do and that. I think that's what's taken, going back to why we started talking about South Africa, yeah. what's taking, what always takes us back is we, we, we move, so we build certain yeah. things. And, and then, we then we disrupt or destroy them because mm. we don't like certain, not, not the core of it, yes. but we just don't like something about it. Yes. Then we say, let's get rid of all of it. Yes. So, so I, I said state-owned enterprises, education, uh, uh, healthcare. So those, to me, would be the problem. Don't try and do too many things. No. Also have a long-term view. This thing of all we are focusing on is matric results. <laughs> that means, yeah. Start at the bottom. Let's have a 20-year view. Why are we having this lawlessness in our country? Why are we having this, uh, this violence against women in our country? It starts with the values. Are we embedding the right kind of values at the start? And, and, and as children are going there, you know, the, the learners... Are they finishing school? Yeah, let's so start them there. Yeah. Let's make them to respect the laws. Today, you know, some of us who have been in many other countries, we can we marvel to see how people respect the laws in terms of the roads, yeah. you know. We come back here, everybody's crossing anywhere, nobody's caring about, you know... Let, uh, you know 
that's basic stuff. We need to embed that to the, as the young people growing up, let's make sure that they, they, they understand the value of, of respecting the laws of the country. So I'm talking about a long-term view, a long-term view. That's what we need to have. Do you think then to achieve that we need some sort of a South African identity or a South African value system? Because South Africa is, unlike many countries on the continent mm. and in, in the rest or in Northern Europe, yes. China and all, it's quite a heterogeneous yes. in terms of culture, yes. uh, society. So, yes. mm. And also very divided coming from, mm. from, from history. Mm. Not only divided among uh, along racial lines, but yeah. tribally divided yes. as well because mm. of apartheid. Mm. So do you think we need to start thinking, as you say, a long-term plan of, of a South African value system of sorts? Yes. I wouldn't say an identity because I think it's a bit late in the game to try and unite everybody to yeah. to be one identity. I think the starting point for me is uh, is that constitution of ours that, that talks to, because it's informed by by the different groups that, that set down to, it's embracing, it's allowing an element of your individualism while at the same time addressing you need to be part of the whole, you know, allowing all of that. Let's, if we go back to that, we will find that we've, we already have got the, the right ingredients for, for the kind of value system that you're talking about. You know, we need to tolerate differences, but at the same time, focus also on, on what is common. You know, that's the kind of value system that you respecting one another, you know, and, 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 and strong, strong focus on, on, on education being a priority. You know, so these are some of the things that need to be part of, of the kind of South Africa that we are building. Yes, I agree 100%. We, need, we, we should be formulating a new set of values for our country. And I think especially for children, as you say, mm. to say this yeah. as a South African mm. young person. Yes. Yes, we've got the constitution, but in schools, I think at primary school, they don't even get yes. to hear about it. But mm. like something that comes in, I don't know, I'm not an educationist or a teacher, but mm. something that gets filtered in or mixed into the education system that informs Yes. A certain value system of yes. this is a South African. Yes, yes. Even our teachers, because it, they will never be able to trans transmit any of that if they themselves have we have not sorted them out. So we have to to work on helping them to embrace this new this new value system that that we we are trying to drive within our country. Yeah. Interesting. And talking of race, I mean, it's interesting. You named your book "Betting on a Ducky," <laughs> and that and that term is a bit is a bit controversial. Yeah. So uh, it's a bit derogatory in some cases. Mm. And being a relatively young person myself, I think I listen to hip hop sometimes. Some some of it is very crass and terrible. Yeah. There's this word called "negroid" or "negro" or "nigger." Yeah. Would you say your use of the word "daiki" in that sense is sort of the same as reclaiming in some of the more positive yes. hip hop, reclaiming yeah. the word "nigger" and trying to project it as something good? Precisely, you know, uh, a number of people use that word, word not in a good way, yes. as you have rightly pointed out. Uh, uh, I feel that we cannot allow those people to define us, so we need to take that word away from them and 
here I'm trying to uh, associate this word with excellence. You know, I'm trying to associate it with good governance. I'm, I'm associating with hard work. You know, you know, honesty. You know, that is that is what I'm trying to do in in in, in this book. You know, hence I've used the word yes, Dagi. It may appear, but if you go deep in in yes. terms of the book, you'll start to find that you know, uh, betting on a Dagi is like betting. Actually, looking at, at, the, at the, the title itself, you, you cannot bet on something that you do not believe in. You know? so already, by, by that, you, 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 are, that you, trust this yeah, you are trusting this thing. And even a racist is going to, looking at that, is going to be challenged you know, by, by just looking at that title. Because it's, 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 how can you trust somebody that... You find inferior. You know, so he will, he will, he or she will have to find a way to try and and reconcile that, and and that's what I want. Even if it means it, I don't have. You don't have to read the book, but I'm I'm leaving you with something to think about. You know that is very important to me. So claiming your identity, yes. claiming, claiming what people throw you as you at the stone. In this case, Daki yeah. and saying yes. it's yes. a positive thing. No, it's a positive thing. We we. None of us, I always say, none of us have got a monopoly of messing up. You know, don't associate messing things up with daggies. You know, all it, of it us, has nothing to do with no, a level of melanin. No, yes, and none of us have got a monopoly of excellence. You know, mm. we, we we all are capable of greatness, and and that is what I'm, that's what uh, this book is all about. You know, showing that you know there are thousands and millions of people. That are of uh, who are black that that have greatness in them, you know. Those are the you know that's what we need to be looking yeah. at. And 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 it's uh, reading your book and looking at your life from a corporate South Africa point of view. I think when you started was mid nineties, correct? Yes. I started working. I think it was nineteen ninety nine. Ninety eight was my first job as an intern as a PC technology as a PC support technician. Yeah. And looking at corporate South Africa then, and when you started, I mean, you started many years ago, yeah. many decades ago at very high positions. Mm. And looking today and speaking to friends and people in corporate South Africa, not much has changed, especially in ICT. I think you mentioned that you were once a dark horse in a pale stable. Mm. And it, not much has changed. And what do you think should we do? Is, is it a matter of education? Is it a matter of access to opportunities? Is it a matter of res, uh, uh, resistance from the, the, the paler horses in the stables? Mm -hmm. What do you think the pro... How do we... And it's not a... Again, I want to go back because as a fundamental thing, I don't believe race is a reason or it, it exists. I mean, mm -hmm. if, you, if, you're, if you're a technologist or a scientist in your mind, you know that... It's all about melanin, and melanin doesn't determine your ability mm. or how you think. Yes, in South Africa's case, we've got a history where we were segregated or separated based on race, and that mm. made it in a way that black people would have similar experience. Mm. Not because we had the same color skin, but because mm. we were forced mm. into certain areas. So what do you think, how do we move forward in corporate South Africa to sort of change this culture that 
there is a difference between the races that excellence, as you say, yeah. is, 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 is a monopoly of certain people yes. with a certain amount of melanin yes. and, and messing up as I think one of the people who hired you back then said, don't mess don't up. Mess yeah. what, 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 how do we change this mentality? Because I think it's, it's part of the problem that's not moving us forward. So, so for me, uh, as part of trying to solve any problem, I think we need to always start from a, a reality. And, and let's look at our, our reality today. If I look, I, I entered ICT in 1996. Mm. Uh, I was one of the, you know, not many of us at the time. In fact, I remember I was the first guy in, uh, in, in, in IBM to be responsible for, I was an account manager for pub, private sector. Customers. Oh, no, I, I remember those days very public. well. So. so there was there was no black guy who was yeah. you know we're all reserved for we're all reserved for, for public for sector. Public sector so if know? I can interject, I remember those days quite mm. well because mm. I started moving up mm. in ICT around 2001. I was working for BMW South Africa. Yes, we'd work. I was a Lotus Domino programmer. So yes, you'd interact with the Microsoft, mm. and the only people that were responsible for the account because we were on the client side would be white people. Exactly. Yeah. And the black people that worked at IBM at Microsoft were either or any public or any private company were either in HR mm. as one of your friends says in the book, uh, let the black people sort themselves out. Yes. Or were handling government accounts. Yes, yes. So that's what we were what was that was the situation there. But fast forward to today, that's not the situation today. You'll find them, <laughs> yes, go to I IBM, Microsoft, uh, Oracle. You go to any of those companies, you find that they, they, you've got black people covering all, all industries. You've got black people leading those companies. You know, I led Microsoft for, for six years. Mm -hmm. uh, the next person who led Microsoft was Zohair Hossein, is an Indian. Yes. And now it's being led by Lydian Barnett, a yes. woman, a, you know, black a, woman, a, a yeah. black woman. You know, so if you look at at, at uh, SAP, is led by by a black woman. You, you go to a number of uh, T systems, is led by a black woman. You know, there's a lot that has changed. Are we but there? Can we celebrate? No. I don't think it has filtered down just yet. Hmm? No. My argument is that it hasn't no, filtered it, down it, just it, yet. You go to each and every one of the categories. We used not to be anywhere close to being uh, leading architects. True. Hmm? True. Now True. you've got leading the guys that are designing and leading for projects. Uh, project. These are black guys, you know. Uh, we did project management. It was a res reserved for white, for white people. Yes. Now, it's, 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 so so they, we are there, but are we there in numbers? Not yet. Not yet, you know. So there, there's been a movement. What we need, what we need is us, people who are leading these organizations, to continue to create even more uh, and opportunity. More opportunity and take the risk, take the risk of, sh of them because you put one person there and people see what, wow, you know, hey, here, there's no difference to us. No, that, that step alone changes even the people, the white guys look and look at it, gee, you know, we, we used to think that the only people that could do this in it. So we need to take 
even more and more risks. Don't you think that puts unnecessary or unfair, unnecessary is the wrong word perhaps, unfair pressure like you were when you started? I mean, you, mm. would, you were told, I, and I understand, you come yeah. from a different era, you were driven by yeah. different motivation, mm. as, as were many people of that age who were driven by yeah. proving that black people yeah. can, do, can yeah. do certain things and reclaiming the country. Yeah. But don't you think in this day and age that puts unfair pressure on, say, a black person to say, don't mess up. Mm. So essentially, meaning you are held to a certain yes. level of standards higher than your white counterpart who's allowed to mess up yeah. at the normal level. You know, I, this is a very, very important question that you're asking. And this question, I've battled with it many times. So why do I have to prove myself? You exactly, know, yeah. You know, why? You know, Can't I, I just be human? I, I just want to be mis... But... You also need to understand that there is a prevailing thought which, which, and, and perceptions and views. The reality is that we're living in a country that is racist. Yes. That's the reality. You can cry so, about so, that. So, you yeah. can do whatever. It is the reality. So in order for you to survive in this reality, what is it that you need to do? That's the question with each and every one of us. Do we like this, the fact that we're living in a race? No, we do not like that. But it is the reality. So you start from that. I start from the, from the point which says that I'm always starting from negative as a black guy. Hmm? True. Yeah. I, I have to work myself back to zero. To prove you're a Christian. Yes, yes. Then I have to, in order for me to stand out, I have to work double hard. You know, If I don't do that, I won't... So that is the reality. Is it fair? It's not, it's fair, not fair, but it's the reality. We can sit and cry, and but if we want to change things, we need more and more of us understanding that and accepting it and changing it. Because by more and more people seeing that these people are, are equally capable, they are going to be changing their, their beliefs. We are working at a belief level, and it is not easy. It is not easy for people to change their beliefs. It's only when they they are now seeing the conflict. It takes a shock my, of sorts. My view yeah. of, of black people is that they cannot perform, but I'm seeing 10 of them performing. I need to find a way of recalibrate. Yeah, yeah, I need to recalibrate. Yeah, yeah. I need maybe my belief of black people not being uh, competent is a wrong belief. You get rid of that. So that's the only way that I know of to try and address this thing. Would you say, it's as I said, I alluded to when I asked the question, Is mm -hmm. would you say it's a function of the age that you come from, the, at that period of time where mm -hmm. you needed to prove yourselves as, 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 as black people? I think, I think uh, regardless, uh, my view is that we, we are working ourselves to, towards a point where we, we don't have to have any racism. Mm -hmm. you know, that's the ideal point. But how do we address that? You have to work on the beliefs. How do you change the beliefs of the people? You know? if, if, if we do not show something completely different from what the people are believing, will they ever change? You know, that, that, that to me is the issue. You know? So even today, I think it still applies. We can sit and think, okay, maybe it used to apply to my generation. It, it, these people have to, they have to change their racist beliefs. Mm? Mm. Yeah. 
and I just don't think they're going to change it just like that. They need they need clear evidence that what they are believing in is actually wrong. Interesting point of view. Mm -hmm. So you would say that we need more people in sort of leadership positions to do what you say as a title of your book, to bet on a doggy. Yes, yes, that's what I'm challenging. That's what I'm asking. That's what, that's what I'm, if, I mean, the more they see us failing when we're being given leadership positions, it's actually... Reinforcing. reinforcing this thing. Ah, look at that. Look I at knew look it. at these SOEs. Look at this government. Look at you know. So so basically that belief of theirs remains. Our job is to I'm saying it's our job. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they have a job to stop being racist, but I think we've got a responsibility to our nation, to the people who are like us, to to show that actually what they believe in is nonsense. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I, I hear you, and mm. we'll, we'll close up now now. Yeah. I hear you say that it's our responsibility, but do you think, and you mentioned, I think, earlier as well, that we need each other in South Africa yes, to, yes, yes. To, to move forward. Is there a world or a South Africa where we say, enough is enough, we're tired of this, we can do without you? Not, not, not in my South Africa. Yes. I, I no, this is a hypothetical I, in, question. In, in my South Africa, I don't, I don't see any of because that. Because that's yeah. what some political parties yeah. are saying. Yeah. That's what, and, and, and you've heard that the populist yes. ones, and yes. they're yes. saying that. And there's a certain, even on social media, there's a certain angst, if I can put it that way, that, oh, no, we're getting tired of these white people in South Africa, and et, I look et cetera, at, And I look at, at just this campaign that, 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 uh, that is Ultron how the people that, if, if I had not come up with an inclusive vision, those people would not be with us and they would maybe have gone to Australia and elsewhere, you know, in New Zealand. And look at the growth that we are having and the opportunities. Now that we are working together, we are creating even more opportunities. We are one of the few companies that is growing in this market. We are one of the few companies that is hiring we are hiring because we are using, because of the advantage that they had, they had an advantage, some of them, so why don't you use that for the benefit of the whole? You know, why do you push it out? You will now have to work double hard. Use the, fact, from scratch, yeah, yeah. You use the fact that they had an advantage and channel them to a one common vision that is going to help lift all of us up. That, to me, is the, that is the, is the solution to this problem. And uh, there's also, I mean, closing questions and, and uh, comments, there's also a, a narrative of sorts looking back at South Africa, especially coming from other African countries or nationals of other African countries that sometimes look down on, on black South Africans and say, oh, you guys are messing up, reinforcing that, 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 that mm -hmm. mentality you talk about that, you know, Dikies can't do it. It says, oh, yeah, it makes sense that you're messing up because you never built the country. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's true, that we never built the economy <laughs> I, I to don't. what it is today? Because I've got my view, and I'll share it I'm now. telling you, the majority of, of black South Africans are decent human beings that understand the value, and they are not into destroying yeah. things. The majority of South black South Africans uh, truly appreciate what we inherited, 
and they would like to protect that for themselves and for their children. You know, so that's those are the, mm. the majority of South Africans are, are like that. Uh, but at the same time, we should also know, uh, just like what is happening in the U.S., where uh, uh, there are few people that are threatened by the immigrants, they, they, they're seeing them as competitors, and they are doing wrong things. We should not necessarily paint everybody based, or based on the behaviors of a few people, you know? Good. Mm. Mr. Nyati, it's, it's been a great pleasure chatting to you. Mm. And going back to what I said initially, that uh, sometimes when parents name their children, it, they become that. I think you've been a great example for many South Africans. Mm. You are a great role model, and talking to you now, you really definitely have great ideas in terms of where the country should be going. I wish you all the best in your endeavors and in turning Ultron around. Thank you so much. It's been great connecting with you, and I hope you, you don't see me as that serious person <laughs> going forward. You know, you can just come and connect with me. I will come and connect with you too, and I wish you all the best too. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Tefo Mohapi Show, which is broadcast by iAfrican Radio. To be notified of future episodes of this podcast and any other shows from iAfrican Radio, please visit radio.iafrican.com. That is radio.iafrican.com and subscribe. You can catch future episodes on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to leave us a review and rating of the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow myself on Twitter at Tefomohapi, which is T-E-F-O-M-O-H-A-P-I. Also, don't forget to follow African 2 on Twitter at I-A-F-R-I-K-A-N. Koto.